Understand that Chris Reed announced that he had a message to the church he was going to deliver down in Fort Mill. And I felt the same way. I, it must be the day the Holy Spirit is delivering messages to the Church of America. And then maybe uh, I'm going to listen to what Chris has to say. Maybe he'll clean up what I have to say. But it may be about the same thing because I've noticed throughout my life the Holy Spirit says the same thing, just through different vessels. But he speaks, and he's speaking clearly to our nation. And I pray we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence among us. Lord, we just pray, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we yield, we surrender, and we pray for the anointing to not only Deliver the word, but hear the word, and let it bear maximum fruit. We thank you, God, that you're not silent in this hour, nor will we be silent. And just help us, God, to say the things that you're saying and do the things that you're doing, that we would be a vessel in the hand of God in this hour. Lord, we acknowledge we can do nothing without you. But with you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so, Lord, we give you glory. Lord, touch everyone in this room, everyone that's watching by web stream. And, God, we just thank you. You're with us in this hour. You are roaring through your church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a few moments, I'm going to share a video I thank Carla for sharing what's happening in Uganda and uh, the stand that they're taking for righteousness. I also saw where students from 13 universities gathered together to protest and to stake, you know, they're in the ground to say, hey, we will follow righteousness in rebuke of the United States president who's threatening Uganda with sanctions because they will not bow to the homosexual agenda. So I thank God for 13 universities in, in Uganda. And uh, they even sent me a little video. These uh, kids were having something, I don't know, it looked like some performance, and they were just trumpeting how they're going to follow Jesus and not the nations of the world regardless of how powerful those nations may think they are. You know, we're living in incredible times. We need to have understanding. We need to know what the Word of God says about this hour. You know, if the Lord had purposed that we'd be alive 150 years ago, then he could have arranged that somehow, but he chose you and me to live at this time in history. Say, I'm here, chosen by God. I'm right on time, and I'm going to fulfill his will in my lifetime, and that's the way it's going to be. Amen. Look with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 18, and I'm going to begin there, and then um, just a little bit, I'm going to play the little clip from the president of Uganda, what he had to say to the 
who was he speaking to their uh, legislative body? I guess they call them the Ugandan parliament. But uh, regarding all these issues and bragging on them and thanking them for taking their stand. But anyway, Revelation chapter 18. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now, you know, glory means majesty, magnificence, radiance, or splendor. And so this angel was pretty magnificent. Nothing compared to the glory of the Lord. But still, it was pretty impressive, as you would, if you could see this sight. And he cried out in verse 2, mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Now, when you see that twice, fallen, fallen, you know what that means? It's fallen. It's falling. But also, it shows emphasis that it's going to come to pass. Remember that scripture in Isaiah, that he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Well, the word perfect is also the same word, peace. So he's really in that scripture saying, he will keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. So peace, peace, that means peace. It's going to be pretty enforced. But fallen means to fall into ruins, to fall into a worsened state, to fall under siege or to collapse. It goes on. Let's read on from there. It says, and has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul spirit and cage for every unclean and hated bird. Hated is also detestable. It's one of the words associated with an abomination. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I've heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. What is he saying in that? This Babylonian spirit, you must be separate. Don't join in, don't participate, regardless whether it costs you your job, whether you're cut from a professional baseball team because you take a stand for righteousness, whatever it means for you, you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. You come out, you're not going to share in their sin lest you also share in their plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities." And that refers to the sins they've accumulated, and God has noticed their wickedness. And he's going to respond. In fact, here's his response in verse 6. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she lived glorious, glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. In other words, I'm immune from any judgment, any backlash. I will do as I please and there'll be no repercussions. Therefore, God says her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Very serious 
portion of Scripture. Now, you may ask, am I saying America's Babylon? Well, if you look at the parallels, then you're going to say there's a lot of things that line up with Babylon. And there's a spirit of Babylon, just like, you know, there's the Antichrist. I remember Dr. Bill Hammond. Larry, do you remember him? You guys remember Dr. Bill Hammond? He was one of the pioneers in the prophetic. And after Shirley and I got married, I guess it was before I met Rick. But anyway, we were down. We heard about Bill Hammond. And I remember the day I, I had no idea about anything about the prophetic. In the Baptist circles, they didn't teach you those things. And, uh, but I remember I had a stirring. I wanted to know. You know, I knew God wrote a book, but as I've said before, I didn't know he had a voice that he could actually speak today. And I remember stepping over a line. I said, okay, God, I have no idea what all this prophetic stuff is, but I'm going to step over into this by faith. And so we went down to hear Dr. Hammond, and then I got associated with Rick and history. You know, there's the story. But I remember Dr. Hammond saying, every day... You are either becoming more and more a part of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're becoming more and more a part of the spirit of Antichrist. Now, that's been 20-something years ago, and I'm seeing that happening, and it's happening more and more, and we must be determined as to who we're going to serve in this hour. But I tell you, the modern-day version, at least the spirit of Babylon, because there's going to be all kinds of different theological. I could care less about all those opinions. All I know is what I'm seeing, and what I'm seeing line up with the Scriptures. And we're living under a spirit of Babylon in this nation right now. And they're spreading their wealth or their filth and their wealth, what used to be their wealth, but now is their filth and perversion around the world. But the nations are not buying it. So I want you to play just what this is the president. We welcome the president of Uganda to the now, gathering this morning. Go ahead. Congratulate the honorable members of parliament on your stand on the Ebitingwa. That's what the Banyankoli call the what they call homosexuals. It is good that you rejected the pressure from the imperialists. Yeah. And this is what I told them. Whenever they come to me, I say, you please shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I congratulate you for making this very strong stand. And I congratulate all the other Ugandans, the bishops, the... The, the other religious people and the citizens. Europe is lost, so they, they also want us to be lost. But in order to fight, we must be patriotic. If we are parasitic in the mind, in the mind of, a, of a parasite, there's no way you can fight. That's how you become a prostitute. Because you fear sacrifice, you fear difficulties, somebody says, I will give you money if you become a prostitute. Those who, who, who like easy life end up as prostitutes. And that's what they want us to be. They want us to be, they want Africa to be prostitutes. 
do what we don't believe in because we want money. Well, praise the Lord for the president of Uganda. And I've not met him, but I want to meet him. And I don't know if he listens to Grace Radio or not on Wednesdays in Uganda, but uh, maybe he does. I, I want to read a couple things. So I've got a plate. I've got somewhere we got to go this morning. Is that okay? Can we go there? And, uh, but I want to read a little bit from a book, and then I'm read from it later on. But uh, it's The Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas, if you heard of him. And uh, he begins, he's speaking about how, remember, the Frenchman, the Frenchman that made the statement, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. You remember that statement. Now, if you look, if you Google that, they've already rigged it where they will say this was not a true statement by that Frenchman. But that's what Google is doing in this hour. They want to undermine everything. And this is just what's happening in our midst. But here's what he said. It is for good or ill that America plays an inescapably central role in the world, to which if that central role has been used for good and for God's purposes, it has everything to do with the churches. So if America is in any way exceptional, it has nothing to do with the blood that runs through Americans' veins but everything to do with the blood shed for us on Calvary. America has led the world in making religious liberty paramount. In America, it was the churches that helped encourage, create, and sustain a culture of liberty. We should underscore the idea that the centrality of our nation in the world does not mean that we are intrinsically exceptional, but rather that God has sovereignly chosen us to hold the torch of liberty for all the world, and that the church is central to our doing this. So the idea that he has charged us with this most solemn duty should make us tremble. Nevertheless, we must carry out that duty in a way that is opposite of pride and that is meant to be an invitation to all shores. We must also remind ourselves that when God chooses anyone, whether a nation or an individual, then they have a fearsome responsibility. The American church is to stand against the evils and deception of this present darkness, and we better be sure we understand what is required of us, and had better make sure we do all that is possible to fulfill our charge. Now go with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21, and uh, just uh, two verses, and then we'll get into uh, the, the meat of the message that I feel like he's put on my heart. I've been, this has been one of those messages that's been simmering, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of brewing. I didn't know exactly when to bring it forth. I was going to speak on this last week, and I said, no, I want Richard and Kimberly standing behind me when I share this, <laughs> because anyway, I want all the people I can to stand behind me and with me, but, um, but I know you're with me. And God is with me. If God be for me, who can be against me? But notice in verse 7, he says, he who overcomes. Just say that. Say, I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. So he who overcomes shall inherit all things. 
Remember, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I was really touched by the Toronto Blue Jay pitcher who took a stand. He just believes in marriage, believes in male and female, and the Toronto Blue Jays cut him. And you know how much money he lost because of his stand, his lifelong dream to be a major league pitcher. But because he believes in traditional marriage and believes that there are men and women, then he lost his opportunity. But I would tell him that he's gained eternity. Because if you lose the whole world, but you gain your soul, you've gained it all. And uh, so let's read the rest of that verse. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, say all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, the title of this message is Cowards Amidst Culture Wars, and we're living in the midst of culture wars. That's just one definition. I believe we're in the midst of World War III. There's a spiritual battle, most of all, that you and I are engaged in. We know that ultimately we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but these wars are being played out with flesh and blood. Those who are participating, you're either going to be part of the Antichrist system or you're going to be part of the Lord Jesus Christ and rule and reign in the midst of what is falling around us. Now, concerning the end of the age, remember Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. Now, what we're seeing take place around us, I would to God that they were rumors. Anybody else? But the things we think are rumors, we find out, no, they're real wars. We had a couple here this past Sunday, and they were with us all week from the border, and he was a pastor in Del Rio, Texas. Now, I've been hearing how Chinese young men are coming into our nation. They're busing them in, and uh, I thought, you know, you hear some things. You don't know what all to believe. Well, he's living on the border, and he told us firsthand, no, it's true. Every day through Del Rio, Texas, there are 12 to 15 buses. They bus them over the border, and they bus them throughout the United States. So anyway, it's good when you hear, it's not good, but it's good when you hear these things that they're not just rumors. They're real wars that we're living in, and that we're going to have to be on our guard and be awake. Say, I am awake. And they're real wars that affect our children, our country, and our culture. And to live in this hour, you know it's a great honor. How many of you know that? If you don't know that, I'm going to remind you of it. It is a great honor. You have been chosen for this hour. I wrote a book back in 2009. You know, the times to come have come, hope and help in troubled times. And I... I knew I was supposed to write it, 
Well, that book is for today, but the main thrust, the main message was that you've been chosen for this hour, and you and I have been chosen. But if you've been chosen, much that is given to you only means there's much that is required. So we must be overcomers. You can't just say you believe that and quote it. You got to live it. You got to walk it out. And to be an overcomer, there's certain things you have to avoid today. So are you guys with me? Everybody's wide awake. Here's some things we must avoid. Number one, we must not faint or grow weary. Did you hear that? Daniel chapter 11, verse 25, referring to this beast system, and which is part of the spirit of Antichrist. And uh, he said this. He said that he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Is there a spirit speaking blasphemy today against the Most High? Was it the Los Angeles Dodgers that are going to celebrate Pride Month and they're they have this group whose motto is go and sin some more. That's blasphemy. And yet the Dodgers are welcoming them in to, as a blasphemic statement against what Jesus said, go and sin no more. But anyway, he will speak pompous words against the Most High and shall persecute the saints of the Most High and attempt to change times and laws. All these things are happening. But now that particular place, the word persecute, how many of you know what it means? It means to wear out the saints. Wear them out. Any of you felt like there is some strategy to wear you out, to overwhelm you so that you will just give up? You know, throw in the towel, you know, give up. Now, we're not tempted to join, but some people may be. You know, you, why fight them? Because it seems like Evil is advancing and everywhere you turn. But we're not going to give up. We're not going to throw in the towel. Another thing is, you know, they're just trying to drive you mad to make you feel like there's, you know, it's just inevitable. Well, what is inevitable is what God has said is inevitable. His kingdom is inevitable. It is that which is certain. Everything else is being shaken. Now, in these days in which we're living... We got to remember, and I've said this, but I'm reminding myself, and I want you to know this message is for me as well as for whoever. You understand that? In the early days, man, I would preach myself under conviction, and I would say, God, that was for me. And uh, so I, this message is for me, it's for us. I mean, we're the choir. We agree with all these things, but we're going to shout, we're going to blow the trumpet. Why we can, but we must remember that the wrath of man will never produce the righteousness of God. Our part is to proclaim the gospel and let our little light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. But as Galatians reminds us, we cannot grow weary in well-doing. You're going to be tempted. The media, there is a, an assault to wear you out. And you've got to stand on the word, stay together, don't become isolated, encourage one another today while it is day. Number two, we cannot ignore or pretend what is happening around us that it's not our business. And we, you know, we see no evil, hear no evil. I, you were speaking about that Friday night. 
You know, we're not those who's buried our heads into the sand. Because if you bury your head in the sand today, eventually you're going to have to come up for air. And when you come out of the sand for air, you're going to realize it's much worse than it was before you went into the sand. You can't stay there forever. You got to come up. You got to live. We're in the world. We're just definitely not of it. That's going to become more and more the truth in this hour. We're going to come out from among them and be ye separate. Now look over in Leviticus. We're going to come back to Revelation, but look with me in that wonderful book of Leviticus. And there's some people that say this is old, done away with. No, whatever was written beforehand was written for our example on whom the ends of the ages have come. That's what the Scripture says. All right. Revelation 18, verse 20. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile her with her or defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire and uh, for to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. Do not defile yourself, he says in verse 25, for the land is defiled. And therefore, I will visit the punishment of its inequity. And the, as then the land will vomit out its inhabitants. Now, there are four specific sins that are mentioned there. There's adultery, abortion, I believe. They offered their children to Molech. It was child sacrifice, homosexuality, and all that is associated with that, and then bestiality. Then look, uh, and we already read verse 24 and verse 25, but look over in verse, or chapter 20. Notice in verse 13, he says, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman... Both of them have committed an abomination, and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, in this day, we do not put people to death. Someone died in our place. His name is Jesus, so that we would not have to die. But the result is the same. The wages of sin is death. It may not come in this life but you will die for all of eternity unless you've been to that place where you've received forgiveness and your sins have been forgiven of you. All of us have sinned. We all are worthy of death, but we went to the cross. That cross is available for anyone. Jesus died so we didn't have to. I mean, if you agree with that and very appreciative. And then in chapter 20, and uh, go back again, look in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land will stone him. And we've already explained today, Jesus went to the cross. He died. He took upon himself our punishment. But if you go through this life without going to the cross, you will die. The wages of sin is death. Now go on. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from the people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Now look at this. And if the people of the land 
should in any way hide themselves or hide their eyes from that man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not address that, okay? Then I will set my face against that man and against his entire family. And I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to give harlotry with Molech. Now, what is he saying in that? He's saying if we hide our eyes, if we cover up and we pretend that what's happening is not really happening on our watch, then God will hold us accountable because we chose not to pay any attention. We went to bury our head in the sand or we became a part of a religion that really is not New Testament Christianity. We are to resist the devil. We draw near to God. We resist the devil. People will go to heaven or hell depending on whether we go to battle on their behalf, whether we fight for them, and whether we continue to proclaim the gospel regardless of the cost. So you understand what I'm saying? They cover their eyes. That's not really happening. No, it's really happening. And God said, I'll hold you accountable because you chose not to get involved. And then number three, we cannot take the position that someone else will do it. Just sit back. I've thought that myself. And you know who the somebody else's are? Look at somebody's look next to you. Say, you, you're the somebody else. Say it again. You're the somebody else, and I'm the somebody else. And the truth is, if God has given you a revelation, he's shown you things that are happening, he's given you also the authority to pray and intercede and intervene to be a part of the solution. Amen. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light. Light dispels the darkness. We have to be who we've been called to be, arise and shine. Remember, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, and, uh, you know, there were those. The man was beaten, robbed, left for dead. The, was it the priest and the Levite? They just walked right on by, let somebody else deal with that. And then the Samaritan, who really should not, but he gave up himself, went and bandaged him, took him to an inn, poured oil, remember, also paid his way so that he could stay, so that he could be healed. And loving our, na- our neighbor means we get involved with what it is that will lead to their eternal damnation. Let me say that again. There wasn't that many amens. Loving our neighbor means we get involved with what will lead them to eternal damnation. If they don't reverse course, if we don't come and shake them, part of this shaking is you and me being the people of God, just trumpeting the truth because it's the truth that still sets men and women free. And then number four, we can't give up before victory comes. Second Kings chapter 3 Remember, God's people were battling the Syrians, and the king was told to strike the Syrians at Aphek till you've destroyed them. And so Elisha told the king to strike the ground. You remember how many times did he strike the ground? Three times. He gave up. He quit. Elisha rebuked the king. He said, you should have struck the ground five or six times because if you would have, you would have destroyed them. You would have won your victory, but they fell short. 
I wonder how many times, and I wonder if there will be a day where we will see how close we were to victory in some area, some battle that we were facing, but we gave up. We stopped just short of the finish line. Listen, Jesus has already crossed the finish line. You and I can finish it too, because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We can complete what he started. He will complete it, but we can walk it out by faith, believing that he's with us. And we don't have to fall short. We don't have to quit. We don't have to drop out. There are many that are not dropping out in this hour. We're hearing the stories, the testimonies. They're losing it all, but they're gaining all and far beyond what they will ever lose. It is no fool to give up what he can't keep in this life to gain what he'll never lose for the life to come. And then we can't allow, listen to this, the abominable to become acceptable. Revelation 21.8 says there's all of those, these abominations shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire. Abominable, defined, means detestable, detestable, loathsome, horrendous. In the Bible, the word abomination means deplorable, repugnant, corrupt, and deprived. In the Amplified Bible, the word abominable means those who are devoid of character and personal integrity and who practice or they tolerate immorality. They tolerate what God doesn't tolerate. They call holy what God calls evil. The church, the priests, they were to define before the people that which was holy from that which was unholy. And God would hold them accountable if they lowered that standard. They were to keep the line. They were to hold the course. Now, what else does God define as an abomination in the Bible? We could spend, this could be the message, but we won't do that. It's just a part Proverbs 6, a proud look, a proud look today and this entire month. There are those that are boasting in their pride, the pride of their rebellion against God. Pride goeth before destruction. God gives his grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He resists them. And so you wonder sometimes, why do you feel this in your heart when you see the White House dressed in the rainbow? It's because God is resisting that. And they have declared war on Almighty God, a war they will soon prove that they have lost. And then another thing is a lying tongue. I wonder sometimes how many politicians even tell the truth. Many do. They probably are the ones that we don't hear from. They don't give them the time of day. But those who trumpet truth will be on prime time, especially on CNN. And you will hear. Hmm? They don't trumpet truth. They trumpet lies. I said that. Well, thank you for correcting me. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. I'm into this. I'm going to finish with the grace of God. Okay. They trumpet lies. Those who trumpet the truth 
or silenced, censored, shunned. Shh, don't say that. You will lose your job if you say what is everybody knows is the truth so that the condition of lies will continue. Thank you. And then hands that shed innocent blood. It's happening every day in America in more ways than we know. And God says it's an abomination. A heart that devises wicked plans in their secret rooms. They devise their schemes, their strategies. You know, we've learned that the devil does the same things. He just gets different people throughout the generations to do his bidding. They're the same tactics he's always done. Even in this hour, I know there's a strategy developing to do something and blame you and me for it. It goes way back to Emperor Nero. He thought, how am I going to get rid of these Christians? So he burns the city down. And he said, hey, this is the group responsible. And he released persecution, some of which history is some of the worst persecution in all of history. He does these false flags events. People say, Their conspiracy? No, it's in the Bible. It's a strategy of hell. Beware. Beware. And then feet that are swift to run to evil. And they're drawn. They want to show up in the streets. Regardless, there's something evil. I want to get in on it. There are many like that. And then a false witness who speaks lies. So he repeats that twice. Must be pretty serious in God's eyes. The, the matter of telling the lies versus telling the truth. It's truth that leads people into freedom. It's lies that lead them into tyranny and bondage. And then one, now this is among the, abomina- the abomination, one who sows discord among brethren. They create suspicion and ultimate division. They're the ones that say, did you know? Did you hear? And they create division among the brethren. God says that's an abomination. Now, there are others in the Bible. Now, stay with me. Hear me out. Don't turn it off yet. But I'm just going to go through them in the Bible because I'm commissioned to preach the word. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Their blood is upon them. Deuteronomy 25, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Proverbs 12, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, regardless of what house they come from. But those who act faithfully are his delight. He who justifies, Proverbs 17, the wicked... And condemn or indicts the righteous, both of them are an abomination to God. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 15, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to God. Romans 1, for this reason God gave them up to a dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with their passion one for another, 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And he said to them in Luke 16, Jesus, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. He goes on, Deuteronomy 25, everybody's quiet, and all who act dishonestly are an abomination to the Lord our God. It's hard this day to run a business standing and holding that integrity, that banner of integrity, but I'm telling you, it will bear eternal fruit if you do. Proverbs 13, to turn away from evil is an abomination to the fool. Jeremiah 7, he was addressing those who went to church on Sundays. They called themselves that they were of God. They were of the house of God. But he said, and then they come and they stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and they say, we're delivered. They say, I I belong to him. Only they'd go out the doors to do all the things that are an abomination to me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Ezekiel 16, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And that's saying, make known to America her abominations. That's our job, to announce it. We just agree with what God said is sin. Sin is sin. And the wages of sin is still death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. There is an answer. There's hope. Revelation 18, for the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Sin in the land affects the land. And because of all your abominations, I will do with you what I have never done before, God says, nor will I ever do again. Eventually, God will arise and address the darkness. Proverbs 16, it is an abomination to kings to do evil, for their throne was to be established for righteousness. Did you hear that? It's an abomination for a president to do evil, for your, your throne was established to bring forth righteousness. Ezekiel 9, and the Lord said to him, pass through the city, and this is what we did Friday night, through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in the land. God's marking those right now that are crying out to God. They've not joined with the abominations. Their heart is grieved. Like righteous lot, they're grieved in their spirit for what is happening. Revelation 17, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was a written, the name, the mystery, Babylon the Great, the great mother of prostitutes and mother of abominations or the earth's abominations. Now, you know, I know there are those that are caught up in this grip of homosexuality and all of these sexual perversions. How many of you know there's an answer? There's an escape. There's a way out. 
You don't have to live under that bondage. Jesus Christ came to set captives free. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to those who were living under condemnation because of sin, but he came to set those under condemnation free so that they would be loosed out of the condemnation and be granted forgiveness and live life eternal. To be justified means to live just as if you've never sinned, regardless of what you've done, what degree of depravity you say you've fallen into. God's grace is greater. His love is more, bigger, stronger. And he, God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can be forgiven. We welcome you here. There is love for you here. There's forgiveness. There's salvation. There's deliverance. Jesus shed his blood for you. And that's what the world is looking for. Now, number six. Just a couple more. We cannot become what Revelation 21 refers to, and that is a coward. We cannot become cowards and shrink back. Let me read again from this. This man, Eric, in this book, Letter to the American Church, he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we've heard this. Now, you go to Google it. It says exactly what I knew it would say, but he really didn't say it. They have a way of discrediting the truth and trumpeting the lies. That is the system we live in, so you have to discern. Follow him, and he'll lead you into all truth, all truth. But he said, silence in the face of evil is evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. He goes on. Can it really be God's will that his children be silent at a time like this? Decrying the cowardice that masquerades as godly meekness. And he goes on. He says, it is an unbiblical faith that's based on what Bonhoeffer called a cheap grace that has sapped the spiritual vitality of millions of Americans, paying lip service to an, an evangelism that shrinks back from combating the evils of our time. And then he goes on, and there's so much in this book, but he speaks about some of those evils. He says, silence is not an option. As believers, we are not to shrink back. We are called to fight the powers of darkness, and to defend the unborn, to confront the lies of cultural Marxism, and to battle the globalist tyranny that crushes human freedom. And we must not back down. Boy, it's a pretty uh, amazing book. I should probably finish it. I read most of it except the last part. But how many of you know the Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, by heart? God is not given what? You know what the word is? Timidity. Cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of timidity to back off, but a love, power, and a sound mind. And we're not to back off. I remember hearing a story many years ago, young in ministry, and it was the story of Alexander the Great. He lived back in, what, 356 B.C., died in 323 B.C., the age of 32, something like that. 
He was one of the great military leaders of all of history, great conqueror. He was charismatic. He was brilliant, a brilliant military general, but he was ruthless, and he inspired loyalty to, from his men, and those that followed him would lay down their lives for him. didn't matter. They would, they would pay the ultimate price. One thing that Alexander the Great could not stand is a coward. And one day he was in his court wherever he was, and a man was brought to him who had been accused of running from the scene of the battle, being a coward. And Alexander the Great looked at the man. He addressed him. He said, what is your name, soldier? The man said, the soldier said, Alexander, sir. So that stunned Alexander the Great. He thought, well, this soldier carries my name. And he asked him again, what did you say your name was? He said, Alexander, sir. Then that really got to his, he said, what did you say your name was? Alexander, sir. One more time, Alexander the Great said, what did you say your name was? Alexander, sir. About that time, Alexander the Great knocked the soldier to the ground, drew his sword, stuck it up to his throat and said, soldier, change your conduct or change your name. And I believe God's saying that in this hour. If you're going to carry his name, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, cowardice. He's given you a spirit of love and a power and of a sound mind. And then that's what Revelation 21, 8 says, that the cowardly shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire. And then the, the next thing, there are two more quickly. We can't retreat. We can't back down. We can't back off. Similar to what I said, but I'll just read this scripture. Psalm 78, verse 9. This scripture has always intrigued me. It says, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows. They had everything they needed for the battle that they were about to fight. They turned back. They turned around. They retreated. Now, the scripture says they turned back. In the day of battle, they did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. And they turned in the day of battle. Jesus said, no one, no one having set his hand to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Remember Lot's wife. The judgments began to fall. She looked back. She just looked back. And she turned into what we're called to be. We're called to be salt. Franklin Graham, a couple weeks ago, I, I shared a little bit about this, but just briefly, he, a little bit more, he was addressing the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. He said, there's a storm coming, and we've got to be prepared. And he went on to say, and we've known about this storm for many years. We tried to trumpet it, tried to shout it. But he went on to say, we cannot be deceived. We cannot be fooled. We need to get ready. We need to be prepared. He continued challenging the church and our nation not to bow to the cultural influences of our day. He said, quote, we cannot back up, retreat. Don't apologize for the gospel. Just declare it. Just preach it. Remember, they hated Jesus. And if they hated him, they're going to hate you. And we can't retreat. And then we can't fear man. 
but we must continually walk in the fear of the Lord. In fact, the answer to the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. That's the antidote. If you fear God, you won't fear men. What can men do to you? If God is for you, who can be against you? It says over in Hebrews 13, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. If you know the Lord is your helper, then you have no reason to fear what man will do. Nehemiah, dealing with the mountain oppression and the threats that were coming, trying to get the church to back off of their mission so that they would cease the work, really. Nehemiah said, should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of, our, of the nations and our enemies? And so, therefore, we can't fear man. We must fear God. And then back in Revelation, just read that, those scriptures once again. But this is a very timely text in my mind. He who overcomes. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, pharmakia. That's what that word is, pharmakia. We've awakened to realize what's happening, what happened to us. All over the world, they're awake. They're more awake in Africa than they are in America. And where they're most asleep is in many of the American churches. They have no idea what pharmakia has done to them and to their children. They have no idea. But all sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But you don't have to be a part of the second death. That's the message. That is the, the bottom line. You can live forever. You can have salvation. You, Jesus said, even if you die, yet shall you live. Though you die, yet shall you live for all of eternity. And you can have forgiveness. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for those that are lost those that are watching, and then we're going to pray and break off the spirit of timidity from this house, okay? You can go ahead. God has determined that in this hour, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. How many of you have considered some of their threats? And yet, grant to your servants boldness that we may speak boldly. And Lord, Stretch forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders would be done through the holy name of your servant, Jesus. He's going to back up his people that run into the battle to trumpet the truth of the gospel. Do you hear that? He's going to back us up. Our God is with us, and if God is your helper, what can man do to you? But you must know God as your helper. And you just call out to him. You say, God, I need you. 
I want to lead you in a prayer. I believe there are many that are watching. Maybe you're in this room, you're uncertain as to your salvation, as to whether you've truly received Jesus. You may have had some form of religion, but you didn't have salvation. You've never truly been born again, given your life over to him. So let's just lead you in a prayer. Just say, dear God, I need you. I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I confess Jesus as my Lord. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I choose to turn from my sin. And I turn my life over to you. I call upon you for salvation. Right now by faith. I place my trust in Jesus Christ alone. And I receive this gift of salvation. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the fire of heaven. And use me for the rest of my life for your glory. Now, if you prayed that prayer, connect with us here at the gathering and we'll send you some information. But um, it's important. So let's just stand.